I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded an episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 8 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join in the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current cropping and crop management topics. Welcome you today uh, to today's installment of Strategic Farming Field Notes program. We're happy that you joined us for this day's session. Uh, these sessions on early season weed control today were brought to you by the generous support from the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council, and also from the Corn Growers Research and Promotion Council uh, for the state of Minnesota. Uh, we welcome our guest, uh, the program this morning, uh, Dr. Devlin Serangi. Uh, Devlin is our extension weed specialist uh, for corn and soybeans at the University of Minnesota, uh, located at St. Paul. Uh, also with us as a co-host, uh, Ryan Miller um, out of the Rochester Regional Office. And finally, uh, uh, Dr. Jared Goplin, uh, University of Minnesota. Uh, he's a crops educator also, and he's located out of the Morris uh, Regional Office uh, as well. Uh, Mr. Miller, you're on here with us. Any other uh, general comments about the, the weather in your area in southeast Minnesota and in how the weed, weed control process is looking? And uh, will we have an opportunity uh, for that this week? But I do understand that there's rain in the forecast uh, for tonight, Ryan. Yeah, that's right, Dave. I, I think, uh, you know, the past uh, week and a half or so, the planting and spraying and all of that, that sort of progress has been uh, fast and furious down here. Uh, a lot of progress has been made. I know a lot of people are prioritizing pre-emergence herbicides. So, um, you know, making sure they got their corn sprayed before they move into soybeans or working with someone else to get all of that accomplished because uh, as we've seen quite a bit of value in, uh, in those pre-emergence and maybe, uh, I don't know, Devlin, if you wanted to kind of talk to that uh, aspect first here, uh, I know you did a lot of work last year. Uh, there was a neat project you had really, really made it visual, the value of pre-emergence herbicide when it comes to managing uh, water hemp and some of that. Yeah, so uh, uh, good morning, everyone. And uh, 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 thank you, Dave, for the introduction and uh, Ryan for bringing this topic. So yeah, this year, uh, due to this uh, good moisture situation in pretty much uh, uh, southern part of Minnesota and also some northwest area, uh, we saw that water hemp started coming up already. And uh, uh, some of the growers I spoke with last week, uh, they planted their corn, uh, the corn started coming up, but they're late in uh, spraying trees and uh, that's something happened uh, when you have wet spring especially like you are really in rush to plant your crop and then your uh, planter is way ahead of your sprayer and that happened with some of our growers and uh, definitely that's not a good idea because trees um, are the foundation especially for the uh, weeds like uh, lamb squatters and uh, water hem management. Uh, so even if you are like uh, one or two days late, but still uh, we always recommend that follow your planter and spray your crops. Uh, but still like if your crop is emerged, there are some options still available that you can spray uh, with uh, just emerged crops, but there are very limited options. 
but you can still spray some of them because a residual control for water hemp, um, especially water hemp and other weeds are very, very important, especially if you want to get uh, season long control of your weeds. And so, so like, do you have any practical recommendations? So, you know, the big thing is kind of knowing what weeds are going to come up and once they're up and uh, you know, maybe your, your pre wasn't on in time. And so now you've got emerged weeds, you're dealing with different species, different herbicide resistances within those species. And so that can kind of create a challenge as far as uh, how do I get about or go about managing uh, emerged weeds? And so do you have any kind of recommendations there? Uh, I mean, uh, right now I have to think about some of the herbicide. I know like some of the herbicide you cannot spray. Those are for sure like a Valor type product that should go before your crop is emerged. Otherwise, um, uh, you'll hurt your crops. But um, and same thing with like a verdict, like safflufenacil type product that will also burn your crop if you don't spray it ahead of your crop emerged. So yes, I can remember some of the herbicide that should not be sprayed, but. Uh, some of the herbicides that can still go, which is which you can use for uh, your post herbicide, for example, those group 15 stuff that can still go uh, because they are uh, recommended for post emergence uh, um, applications and um, you can still spray them like so Outlook or uh, Dual. So, so Devlin, one thing that we did... Uh some applied sort of research in Southern uh, Minnesota, Southeast and South Central, probably about seven or eight years ago now was really kind of looking at this layered approach uh, where we're using layered residuals. And so we did a whole bunch of different products and product combinations and rates and timings. And I guess the most critical component that came out of that in my mind, I mean, there's some nuance with the different products and things, but uh the most critical component was kind of the timing. So that pre-emergent at time of planting, you got to have that down. And then the, the second component there is the, the, the layered residual and the timing with that. And so I think through all of that different work that was done, uh, timing that layered residual between 20 and 30 days, I know from the, from the research work, 30 days was like the optimal timing, but you can't get everything done on day 30. So uh, if we wait past day 30, that's too long. So once you're out in that 40, 45 day window, the layered residual starts to, it's like delaying your pre, you know, it's, it's, it's gotta be earlier than 30 days. So hitting that 20 to 30 day window seems to kind of be the, the sweet spot, so to speak, as far as adding in uh, residual so that you're kind of preventing your weeds from emerging, preventing the problems from there, because we've got a lot of issues with uh, different herbicide resistances. And I know you're doing a lot of work like with your graduate student, uh, Navjot, kind of figuring out how prolific some of these things are. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that's a good point, uh, uh, Ryan. So we always uh, talk about layered res residual thing, but uh, we have to remember those residual herbicide they don't have any foliar activity. So basically they prevent the weeds to emerge. So uh, when you are spraying your residual herbicide, whether it is uh, your pre-emergence or whether it is uh, applying as post-emergence, you have to make sure that um, 
your weeds are not up or even if they're up not many of them because the weeds which are up already they will not be controlled with with your residual herbicide and that's why you mentioned about that uh, period when you should uh, come back with your residual herbicide to get uh, a longer period of control yes that is uh, important and another uh, important thing that i want to mention to the folks like uh, my student who is um, testing some water hemp population for resistance, he found that um, there is substantial number of fields infested with PPO resistant water hemp, which is uh, resistant to like uh, Flexter or Cobra or Ultra Blazer. So, but uh, the uh, good news is when he spread those uh, uh, soil or the seeds uh, as pre-emergence, like with Valor or um, uh, Safflufenacil, like when it was uh, applied um, as pre-emergence, the Valor controlled those population totally, 100%. So that means the water hemp, which is resistant to uh, Flexter or Cobra um, uh, or Ultra Blazer can be controlled using uh, Valor, which is also a PPO inhibitor, but applied on the soil as pre-emergence herbicide. So, so along those lines, one of the pr programs or two of the programs, I guess I've, I've been real interested in is the, the prefix, which is that Flexstar dual kind of combination, as well as the Warren Ultra. We've had really good results and it allows flexibility for folks not dealing with those uh, PPO resistant water hemp's if I don't have quite the time to get on it right at planning, I can apply that early post. Um, but then, uh, you know, beware of this situation you're explaining is that there, it seems like that uh, herbicide resistance is becoming more prolific in the state. Yep. So those just kind of a couple of comments. Um, so so um, what about uh, one question that came in, Devlin, was about atrazine and metribuzin. Those triazines clearly use metribuzin in soybeans, and atrazine can be used in corn. Um, did you want to make any comments related to those in uh, their uh, effectiveness, I guess? Yeah, so last year was my first year at the university, and you all know that last year was pretty dry year, and we had um, severe drought pretty much all over Minnesota. So last year, uh, I I cannot realize uh, like I, I really I was surprised that uh, I mean it's not really surprising, but still I was surprised to hear like I got probably ninety percent questions from different farmers and uh, cooperators regarding the carryover issues. And uh, those are either atrazine carryover or um, some HPPD carryover issues. Yeah, so uh, yesterday we uh, I was chatting with Dr. Tom Peters and we are discussing this question regarding atrazine and metribuzin. And he mentioned that my thumb rule would be uh, don't use them past June 15, because that would be kind of uh, my thumb rule cutoff so that you can uh, reduce some of those carryover thing to next season, because you never know how the fall and spring may look like, whether it is it will be wet spring or uh, there will not be much uh, moisture. And, and, you know, like if you are um, in a uh, lower soil pH situation um, that may um, bind this herbicide to the uh, soil, but when you have high pH pockets in the soil or in your field, you know, those high pH will make this herbicide available 
to your subsequent crop. So that means your soybean and that will hurt your soybean next season. So it depends on different factors. Definitely water is one of the factor, temperature and moisture um, and, and also the soil pH. So if you have um, some high pH pocket, be careful um, uh, uh, and uh, look out for these uh, carryover issues. And again, uh, I would uh, emphasize on uh, Dr. Tom Peters' comment that uh, maybe it's not a good idea when you passed June 15 using these herbicides. So in terms of weed control, though, let's look at uh, metribuzin. You know, it's a, a component. It's been uh, kind of generally along with one or two other active ingredients in a pre-emergence uh, program. Uh, and a lot of those chemistries seem to do a pretty darn good job uh, uh, with a pre-emergence weed control. And so I don't know if you've got any comments there, but it seems by itself, it's, you know, it's maybe not that impressive, but when it's in concert with other actives, it, it seems to uh, kind of round the uh, program out. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, uh... Uh, Metribuzin itself, uh, it was used a long time in the U.S. for weed control, but uh, we saw in recent years when you tank mix with something else like Fierce or some other product, you'll get better weed control plus you are providing another uh, additional sites of action, which will reduce the chances for um, any resistance. And again, uh, I would emphasize my students' project on waterham screening he found that uh, atrazin and uh, atrazin resistant is uh, also uh, uh, there in Minnesota. I mean, he found about 20% um, population surviving atrazin post-emergence application though, but still like uh, the triazine resistant is there and uh, it's a matter of time, like when you get uh, resistance towards metribuzin and other stuff. So yes, I mean, uh, always tank mixing uh, provides better weed control and uh, provide additional uh, sites of action for controlling these weeds. And the use rate is typically pretty low, maybe eight ounces in, in those products, I think, generally. And so then you're probably your risk of carryover kind of diminishes also with and especially of... like you are spraying as pre, I mean, you still have uh, like long time, you'll get rainfall and I expected that you'll get some moisture and that will kind of uh, like uh, diminishes the effect of, I mean, the chances of carryover. Uh, that's why, I mean, again, um, I agree with Dr. Tom Peters that um, if you spray something after June 15, there is a chance that it may carry over. Even your Flexster, I saw uh, last year, like uh, some of the folks applied Flexster in July and uh, last year in the corn, they saw some of the symptoms of Flexster carryover. So, um, so anything applied before June 15 is kind of the thumb rule, I agree. So kind of moving on to, to atrazine then, and deal with that one. Uh, you know, in Southeast, we deal with the karst geology. So we've got a lot of sinkholes and there's some setback concerns that need to be followed with when they're using atrazine. And, and I, I guess kind of my general opinion is when we, when we use atrazine, it probably has its best fit uh, when we apply it post-emerge. Uh, and uh, in particular, kind of at that half pound rate yeah. with your group 27. So your HPPD inhibitors, it seems to really kind of 
get those going and activate and kind of see that synergy effect with atrazine. And it's, I don't know if you agree with that or it's kind of been my observation. And then, then you're using a lot less in terms of pounds uh, and, and, and whatnot. And we're following some of those best practices uh, that are recommended by the Department of Agriculture. Yeah, definitely. Uh, HPPD and atrazine, they have their um, uh, synergistic impact. And especially you'll see that when you apply pre actually, like the, they really uh, show the synergistic impact. But, uh, but yeah, I agree with you. But uh, some of the folks um, have restrictions regarding atrazine use due to some um, soil leaching and thing, uh, groundwater contamination stuff. But um, but you have to think about like you have other choices too. You, you can avoid atrazine and use some of the other herbicides that. Um, so this year we are uh, doing a project actually in um, corn and we are uh, literally avoiding atrazine and use of any isoxaflutol, which is the balanced stuff because we understand some of the growers might have limitations for using these herbicides. and. We are trying to uh, get some uh, good weed control without using these herbicides, and and you you still have some options uh, pre and post choices that you can uh, work around. And again, like um, I want to um, I want to tell everybody that atrazine is a good herbicide and it was there for a long time and we are using it and all good but uh, we also started seeing atrazine resistant water hemp population and I think um, one of the population my students screened which was uh, resistant to atrazine and HPPD and that that is something concerning but uh, the good news is um, when uh, I was doing my grad school in Nebraska we had a field site which was uh, Palmer amaranth, with, uh, which was resistant to atrazine and HPPD. But when they tank mix them and use them as pre-emergence, uh, that, that provided really good control, I think 80-85% control. But when they applied them um, like individually or sequentially, they didn't control well. So, yeah. Okay, I think we'll sw switch over to uh, Jared Goplin, if you can hear me on, the, uh, on your line over there. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about, from your perspective, uh, you're more on the western side of the state, but what are we seeing right now in terms of weed hype, uh, weed emergence uh, <clears throat> that are, are, are aware of there? And then also there's been some comments about, um, you know, difficulty in, in sourcing some of the group 15 herbicides if they're not on the dealer's shelf. I mean, if we got a supply shortage, uh, substituting some other things. So let's just talk about those two issues here a little bit and then some more specifics on water hemp. Yeah, they're getting big. Um, you know, there is some corn that's start, starting to pop out of the ground and the giant ragweed's way ahead of that. You know, I've seen some ragweed now that's got to be six, eight inches tall, you know, along some of those fence lines where there's really heavy populations. So, um, you know, they're definitely going to be a problem. Um, so, um, you know, as we talk about or think about weed emergence timing and when these pre's are going on uh, and the need for uh, burn down applications, you know, especially if you're doing some type of minimum tillage or or even some of these bigger weeds, you know, your tillage might not actually end up getting uh, full control of those. So it's something to keep an eye on. Um, so we don't, you know, let those weed patches go to seed. Um, so yeah, things are definitely moving along. Uh, in terms of availability, you know, Tom had indicated some uh, shortage of uh, dual magnum. Um, but I guess, uh, you know, a lot of the other products from what I've heard have been been available, but uh, there may be some issues with uh, related to whether or not the retailers have them. 
uh, or not. But uh, from what I've heard, anybody who's kind of been on the ball and, and gotten things, uh, you know, kind of ordered ahead of time should be just fine or have, have the products in the shed already. So there's, there's obviously other group 15s that you can substitute in there on, on corn and beans. If, if the metallochlor is itself, um, we have, oh, look, we have other opportunities, uh, you know, along with that. Um, <clears throat> we've got some label changes here, I guess. Uh, um, you know, think about early post-emergence coming up here. Um, we've got some restrictions on dicamba uh, in terms of south of I-94. And uh, um, I believe that is what, June uh, 15th? 12th. 12th. June 12th. And, um, and so you got to keep that in mind uh, with that. Uh, we're back on board with, uh, with Enlist Duel um, across, this, uh, across the state after some um, theoretical changes that um, were, were, were not uh, in a, enforced here. So uh, the availability is, is for that as well. Um, but keep in mind, um, it's different on different sides of, uh, of I-94 uh, to the north going later in, into June, but we have the June 12th here uh, in terms of that. So if, if you don't get your post-emergence um, you know, other and, options on and, keep that in mind. And Dave, we have the temperature cut off this year too. Like right, uh, 85 uh, degrees uh, um, on the max for application on, on, uh, on, on the dicamba. I, uh, there was one question that came in last year, Jared, I don't know if we, and, and Tom's not on right now, but actually it was a fall application of a Fourier or, or Valor um, for, you know, putting on the fall for winter annuals and, and so forth. Um, and it's for some places, not in my all Minnesota that he was recommending, you know, he felt Valor at three ounces, uh, um, you know, at, uh, at, in the fall before tillage and before corn and soybean, and actually even before I had a spring wheat, uh, was an option. I don't know if it's for kosher control. I don't know if you have any comments on that or not. Oh, I guess not really, you know, really targeting some of those, uh, those winter annuals, as well as, uh, you know, kochia being a really early emerging weed, you know, having something out there and available to control those. I know kochia in some parts of the state, you know, have significant resistance issues. So um, any of those minimum till situations, you might not have uh, very good post-emergence options. It certainly makes sense. I guess I do have a, a kind of a follow-up to some of the, the conversation, Devlin and Ryan, you were having about pre's and things, and it's related to early post applications in corn. You know, more of the pre's in corn allow, you know, a little bit later applications. And I was just curious, um, you know, this year versus last year, if you want to contrast that a little bit, um, you know, regards last year, we were really early this year, we're really late, you know, is there any benefit, you know, if we think about, you know, having some of these early emerging weeds, late emerging weeds on doing an early post application, or I guess I'm curious on what your kind of perspectives are, are there with some of these, these corn products, like triple flex or sure start those types of products, I guess, or, or others that allow early post applications. Yeah. Everything got so bunched up, Jared, that I think, you know, it's, it's going to kind of happen all at the same time this year with, with planting and pre-emerges spraying. It's kind of a, you know, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I guess my my school thinking is always to to prioritize your pre-emergence application, particularly with corn. I, you know, I know we've got some flexibility with the products to put them on early post, but if you get delayed at all, um, you know, we know that corn just doesn't tolerate competition early season. It it's it doesn't have a lot of flexibility there, and so to maximize yield or yield protection, you need to really prioritize and, and get them on. But certainly a lot of the products do allow for that early, early post application. And I, I would guess I wouldn't be against it if someone wanted to try it on a number of acres where they think they could get it done and done in a timely fashion. Um, 
it can it can work still, but I, I think there's a lot of risk to kind of go to that program in whole, particularly if you're trying to manage a lot of acres and, and getting the spraying done. It's there's not a lot of room for for error there with weather changes and delays, um, potential penalty in terms of uh, yield. So. Yeah, so this year I saw a couple of the situations. Number one, um, some of the growers, they tilled their field maybe two weeks back and then now they're trying to plant and all the weeds are emerged, especially lamb scorers and ragweeds are up. And uh, so if you spray your trees, those weeds will not be killed. And then you have to think about uh, either burn down activities or another passive tillage or come back with really early post-emergence just to reduce the um, competition. And second thing I explained today, like um, planter is way ahead and then uh, sprayer is coming late and weeds are emerging. So I saw these situations this year, especially due to the wet spring in the southern part of Minnesota. And um, I mean, um, I can understand that, uh, that this year's planting got delayed and uh, farmers would be really busy and they may uh, not be on time for early post-emergence, but I think the early post-emergence will be one of the important things this year, especially when uh, there are plenty of moisture and weeds started coming up. And, and I actually, last week we, um, tilled one of our research site and we thought like we'll plant this uh, last week sorry last week we tilled one of our research site and we thought we'll plant this week and I went there yesterday and I saw like it was all covered by ragweeds and uh, uh, lamb squatters just in a week so um, so I think if you're doing tillage like your tillage equipment planter and sprayer should go together I mean otherwise uh, it's really difficult this year. I, I think that's an important point, Devlin, is um, because our soil is warmed up and rapid emergence, as Jared has indicated. So we got a, a lot of variability across the state of Minnesota, um, small to, uh, to, to larger situations. Uh, certainly if you're in a, in a minimum till or, or no till, it's a different situation. But uh, the bottom line, we're going to have uh, rapid uh, weed growth here. I mean, if, you're, if you have an ability to, to till and some of these seedlings, Jared, Jared you know, that might take some out, buy you a little bit of time if you haven't gotten to the soybeans in, in, in terms of that. But uh, I know that there was one comment um, that Tom had put in. It actually came from uh, Bob Hartzler, our former uh, uh, re recently retired weed scientist down in, in Iowa. And it's kind of a Cadillac program on, on, the, on the soybeans, but uh, they were looking at water hemp and, and those folks down there were using uh, pre like with sulfentrazone or fierce, you know, maybe followed up by a, a group 15 um, you know, that could be a, 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 even a post-emergence applied with that or pre to water hemp. And then coming back with a trait, you know, if you have a, a Liberty Bean or a, a 2,4-D and, and closer, but, you know, leverage those possibilities. And I think that goes back to what, Ryan, you were talking about before um, in, in that situation is, is, is using those advantages of those traits, um, but also incorporating that layered concept uh, with some of the different things in there, particularly if you have a significant water hemp problem and you know about it um, uh, in advance. Yeah, and certainly for folks growing the dicamba tolerant soybeans, that early timing of the dicamba is going to be important. And you know, given the calendar date and the delay in planting, you know, it, I still think that, uh, you know, certainly in certain parts of the state, that program's got a, a pretty decent fit. And the early applications tend to be uh, 
you know, uh, less risky, I suppose. And, uh, and so those are, those are things to think of if they've got that trait package in place, you know, it's still got, got some good utility early with the residual because we need to add that group 15 at that point to carry us through the season. I know we're, we're jumping ahead here a little bit to uh, <clears throat> post-emergence, Jared, but any comment that you would have about if things do get away from you on whether it's Enlist or Dicamba or Liberty, as far as weed size is concerned now going, going ahead here uh, in there. So it's even beyond bond the pre, but there's a limit here uh, in terms of that. So really the pre's are important, but maybe you just want to uh, review a little bit about, um, you know, smaller is better here. Yeah, I don't know if there's much more to say. The smaller, the better, uh, obviously. Um, you know, under four inches in height is ideal. Um, you know, the one thing I guess I'll add, you know, in years like this is the one thing that you can feel a little bit better about with delayed planting is we do get, quote unquote, free weed control out of our tillage. You know, so, you know, by now, you know, 60, 70 percent of the giant ragweeds probably emerged by now. Common ragweed would be similar you know, a good chunk of the lambs quarters has kind of made a start as well. So those early emerging weeds, you know, at the time of planting, if we have spring tillage or a burn down application, um, they're going to wipe out more of the weeds than they normally would with an earlier planting date. So, um, you know, I guess that's one thing that I guess you can feel a little bit better about, you know, with delayed planting, you know, it's always hard in springs like this where you, you can't get in the field, but um, that is the one good thing, um, you know, at least when you're out there with the field cultivator or a burn down application, uh, those weeds that are emerged, you're, you're going to get better control out of those those pre-plant things, I guess, compared to a normal year. Well, I know our, our corn is spiking through here in Devlin. Your point earlier uh, when we started the program about really read those labels. A lot of the pre's you can go over the top, but, you know, some of these other ones are specific. You cannot apply them after the crop has emerged. So, um, and it's going to happen pretty fast. So like I guess the bottom line is go out and scout, know what you've got on a field-by-field -field situation but really read those, make sure that that pre is not gonna cause you a problem in, in crop injury um, uh, as well. And the last comment, I guess, Ryan, we talked about it before we came on the air here a little bit, uh, reach back sometimes the concept um, from some of the manufacturers gets oversold a little bit in terms of there's a limit on reach back. Everything as you indicated has to come in um, really completely aligned if that's gonna really there, it's hard to count, uh, to count on it. Yeah, not, not a terrible amount of consistency with the reach back concept. Uh, you know, your stars have to align perfectly to, to see that sort of thing happen. And the one of the comments I did want to make, we were talking a little bit about uh, weed size. The other thing is coverage. So if you've got really dense weeds, um, getting good coverage is absolutely critical. So up in the gallonage per acre, or if you're allowed the flexibility to pick a, a different spray tip to give you better coverage, uh, that's critical, particularly, it's true with all products, but particularly with the contacts. So the Liberty herbicide uh, program, you definitely need to get good coverage, which is, you know, your weeds got to be two inches tall, ideally, and you need to get them all covered. So something to think about. I know a lot of uh, products are limited on their tip choice and droplet size and or some of our newer products, I guess. And so uh, something to be aware of if we're using those tips across everything, it might not work equally well. Certainly, um, you know, rainfall is one of our best incorporators to get things into soil solution. If we're on the other side of this rain, I know comments, I know there's always an op op opportunity, Jared, rotary hoe, or to try to get things active a little bit about, about that. But um, um, either way, I think we learned last year that even though we were in a dry situation, um, the, a lot of those pre's did pay benefits and we're still there 
in terms of residuals. So they're not going to go away right away. Um, and, uh, you know, there's still a worthwhile investment uh, in situations with that, even if you think the horse is out of the barn, so to speak, um, in, in a dry spring, we, we still benefited. So Dave, uh, just switching the gear quickly here. So uh, we got a question about flame torch uh, weeding thing. And uh, that's mostly came from a, uh, an organic farmer probably. So I, uh, I tried to look up and I found my uh, 2014 flame weeding workshop uh, manual that I attended uh, from Dr. Steven Nezevic in Nebraska. So I just want to make uh, some key points there because uh, that person asked like, what is the best timing and what is the best sequence? So, so flame weeding is more like uh, your uh, like non-selective burn down type treatment. Uh, just think about one herbicide that does the burn down treatment. So uh, they say it's like if you're, uh, so I'm just reading from that uh, manual quickly. So 10 to 12 gallons propane per acre if you are doing burn down uh, thing and four to five gallons propane if you are using banding like 12 inch banding for your flame weeding. And this is more like post-emergence flame weeding. So the weeds must be up and it must be less than three inch tall so that you can kill it. And if it is grass, you need two times at least for killing the grass. And sometimes you may need additional tillage for uh, killing the grass along with the flame weeding thing. And regarding some of the crop stages uh, for, uh, for um, corn, if you do your flame weeding before V1 stage, uh, there should not be much yield penalty. But up, when you pass the V1 stage, whether it is V2, V3, V4, then either you have to be really careful that you are targeting the uh, uh, in between the rose area or you'll hit your corn and there will be significant yield loss. For soybean, uh, up to cotyledon stage, soybean is really resistant to flame. But once it passed the cotyledon stage, like V1 stage or something, then you'll see the yield reduction using the flame weeding. So those are some of the key points. I tried to look up uh, that manual and found it. Okay, I think, uh, thank you, Devlin. I think Ryan and, and Jared, we've reached the end of our uh, allotted time here. The, the, uh, uh, at the end of the Weber, webinar survey, um, before you leave, there'll be a quick four question survey. It'll give us some feedback on uh, the webinar and also suggestions for uh, next week. And reminder, the next week's session will be actually on Wednesday again. May 25th um, at eight o'clock in the morning. And uh, then we'll be talking uh, crops and general uh, development, maybe a little bit more about uh, varieties and hybrids and so forth. If, if anybody did uh, have to switch maturities as well as growth and development and maybe weed control as well. But then again, May 25th at eight o'clock at the same time. Again, we wanna thank our sponsors, uh, the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council, along with the Minnesota Corn and Research and Promotion Council as well. I wanna thank uh, Devlin and Jared and Ryan uh, uh, for being on here. Any other